0: the truly other. What does it mean to really be happy? Happy New Year! As we welcome 2021, now's the best time for us to evaluate our goals. One common journey we all share is that of happiness. To learn more about what happiness really entails, I chat with Erica So, a happiness coach. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of the individuals involved. The following content covers topics in relation to happiness, mental health, and related struggles. Trigger warnings may include self-limiting beliefs, suicidal ideation, and depression. Listener discretion is advised. The idea of attaining happiness has been like really intriguing to me it's also such a personal journey can even be a struggle sometimes so um yeah maybe we can kick off with a bit of a self-introduction Erica tell us a bit about yourself and uh how you came to coaching for happiness
1: yeah absolutely so it's a long and short story um so I I guess like as a kid like I always liked helping other people and it started with like I had all kinds of pets and animals and I just wanted to take care of others and animals included and so naturally when I went to college I wanted to study environmental science and like make the world a better place Um, and then I realized that I wanted to do research and I wasn't really getting out to people and so from there I realized I wanted to make like a big impact so not only how can I help but how can I help the most and like have the most meaningful impact so I realized that a lot of environmental issues were really caused by a lack of uh, public understanding and people just making decisions out of ignorance, not because they were trying to be malicious and like make problems, they were just doing things so they didn't know better. And so that's how I ended up getting into the classroom. And then from there, I realized that students only have so much influence. And a lot of times um, some are less than eager learners and it takes a lot of work um, to get them in, in a position that they're like open. To hearing that and I, I kind of had to have I had to stop and recognize I was like okay is my mission to make an impact on lots of people or have like a meaningful impact on, on a few people and so I realized well honestly one like when I was in the classroom I cared about my students so much that it wasn't healthy like I was so upset and really frustrated because I only could help them so much And I wanted to make a bigger impact and really help them more, but I couldn't. And so that was really frustrating to me um, because once they went home, that was like completely different ballpark. And um, I grew up in a low income community and I wanted to make sure I was serving students and communities that were like the ones that I was from. And um, from there, I realized that I wanted to make sure I was working with people that were receptive and like had the autonomy really to like make those changes. And so I decided I want to work with adults and it's kind of shifted where like at first I was like, Oh, I'm going to work on finances. And then I got kind of scared. I was like, I don't think I know enough about finance to help people. Um, and then I went into like communication and like in like relationships and like helping people be more open and connecting with each other. But then even from there, I realized there was more to it, right? It wasn't just connecting, and it's kind of like where you get your happiness from. And so when I started introducing myself to friends and family as a happiness coach, they're like, "Wow, I totally see that. Like that's so fitting for you." And it just kind of made me realize like how much joy is important to me, and I want genuinely to be like to make the world a happier place. That's so powerful.
0: I love how you channel the passion for helping others into um like really productive and um, fruitful ways it's so incredible to see but it is one of the biggest philosophical questions of all time right like what is happiness I mean is it really about like feeling content the emotional side of things
1: yeah it's it's, it's interesting because according to Merriam Webster it's the state of well-being or contentment right it's like the textbook definition and there's also been research like very significant research saying that it's about experiencing positive emotions and also being content with your life and not not just being happy all the time, but like feeling like you have meaning. And for me personally, I found that it's, it's really about like being thankful for the present moment and like recognizing like what you have and just really being able to acknowledge that and, and, indulge in, in the moment because I think a lot of the times we're so anxious we're so worried about the future or we're so regretful and so like upset by the things that we maybe did wrong or not the way we would have wanted to in the past. And it's, it's really interesting because like I do a seminar with students as well. And so I've worked with them a lot. And one of the things that keeps coming up is that they say that the things that make them the most happy our family and friends. And I've done this like several times and it's, they always come up as a top thing and it's like happiness is community. Right. And like being with people that you care about and like feeling like you belong. And I think a lot of the time people think that happiness is supposed to be, Oh, I have all these things and I can show off whatever, right. Whether that's a wife or a house or a car or a dog. Right. When it's really not like, it's it's really interesting when you start looking into what makes people happy and I think sometimes when we get more wealthy um it's almost goes backwards when you have too much money because in, you don't know what to do with it or in the process of getting there you've had to shed some of those connections that had made your life more meaningful. And I'm not saying that to to say that you can't be wealthy and happy, but I think there's a lot of intention behind it and you have to recognize like where it's coming from and what you're doing it for. And I want to like really, really pull back on that. Like, I don't want to say that like money is evil either. Right. Because money is just a tool. It allows us to do what we want to do. And just like every tool, it can be used for good or bad.
0: Yeah, that's uh, definitely makes sense. Um, I know we have these questions later in later, but is there ever a situation then where, we are actually happy, but we aren't either aren't aware of it or we want more and that's making us feel like we aren't happy.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was a very interesting question because I was like, hmm, can we ever not be like, are we ever like subconsciously happy? And I was like, no. If you don't feel happy, then it's you're not happy. Like I think it's almost as simple as that. Like if if you're not feeling satisfied it's important to listen to that. What about your moment right there? Are you not happy about? And again, I also wanna like pull back and it's like, it's not just like, do you choose to be happy? Cause I feel like that was something I used to think. It was like a, almost like a positive, um, toxic positivity where it's like, oh, you can just choose to be happy. Like that's the choice you have. And it's a little bit more complicated than that, um, which we'll, I we'll talk about a little bit soon.
0: Yeah. So, you know, in your experience, How do people define their happiness? Are there certain factors that come into consideration like family relationships
1: and work? I actually survey my students. because I do like a a student form of my program because like working with kids is so important to me. Um, And I I never want to not work with kids. And so I I offer like a, a free student program. And one of the first questions I ask them is, what are the top three things that bring you happiness or make you happy? And I like go through all the responses kind of coded out and like consistently the number one is like family and friends like being able to spend time with them or do things with them. Um, The funny second one um, I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with is food. (laughs) Cause it's just like, we need to be nourished, right? It's like a survival thing. Um, And after that, it just kind of mixes like music activities and like all this other stuff that, and I would say with that, it's like, the sense of fulfillment and doing the things that bring you joy, like because it's fun, right? And some you can actually go into this a little bit more. It's like about flow, right? Doing the things that are challenging enough that it's interesting to you, but not too hard that it feels impossible and frustrating, right? And flow has this sense of you lose track of time, and people say, like, oh, I'm in a groove, or like, there's a lot of different ways to say it, but I'm sure we can all um, remember a time and we just had this sense of like fulfillment we were doing a thing and we just knew exactly what the next step was and we we're just like in the groove we didn't want to stop because it just felt so good and so I think that's it's just been so interesting because like every time I do the survey I'm like oh I need to change my slides but I don't because <laughs> it sense always being the same Um, and I also want to mention that like on the flip side of that I also asked them what are the top three things that challenge your happiness right what are your barriers to stop that and number one is always school, right? They're students. So school is very stressful, whether it's being at school, studying for tests, doing homework, getting good grades, all that stuff. And like for adults, obviously we're not all in school unless we're like in academia, which is great, right? But you could even expand that to say societal expectations or work, right? It's like all these things that are, are put in front of us that, that we're expected to do or we're told we have to do and it feels a little bit restrictive and so um we'll talk a little bit more about that later but I just wanted to share that too because I think a lot of the times you're like always trying to look at the positive side of things which is not horrible but it's happy people aren't always happy and I think if you if you try to try to always be happy it's it's really not healthy
0: that's interesting because it feels like it's the way that commitments and expectations are um, getting in the way of like our self-care time our personal time and places and things that we want to invest our energy into is that the case
1: yeah and that's that's really interesting because that's what I find with my coaching clients where it feels like you lose a sense of control because you have this sense of obligation that because your work is asking you to do these things that you have to do it a certain way or maybe because you have this high standard that whenever you do something you only do it to like the best right and yeah <laughs> that's like a whole other thing where it's like i feel like it takes you on this this piece where we take so much pride in who we are as people right in our d- identity as a, an as an individual and so when we do our work we want to make sure that what we do shows our best self right and so we never want to compromise which is Sometimes counterintuitive because we work so hard that we don't let ourselves rest, which makes it harder to work hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And all these things really do come in from a young age, though, now that you're saying um, with you working with students, it feels like it starts with where school is a commitment and then it follows through in life. Like when you start working and then you need to support your family and things like that, it can be a bit overwhelming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, there's all this stress and and this obligation where you feel kind of trapped because you're supposed to do things a certain way. But um, it's definitely a perspective shift, like in recognizing that (laughs) this is a funny realization is like, you don't have to do every, you don't have to do anything, right? Anything you feel obligated to do, I would ask you why, right? Because if you get to the core of it, it's because you're afraid of a consequence, right? Because if you you don't turn in that report, whatever, on time, okay, maybe your boss is going to say something to you. Maybe the company shuts down, whatever. There's some kind of consequence depending on the report, right? It starts off feeling like
0: it's external factors that you don't have control over. But there seem to be ways
1: that we can regain control over those aspects. Yeah. And so like... There's been research on like, what are the components of happiness, right? So there's three main factors. The biggest one by far is 50% of your like happiness components. And that's your genetics, right? Those are things that you have no control over. It's what you were born with. And that's just how it is, right? It sounds like a lot and it is, but that's, that's just how it is. (laughs) There's another chunk that is uh, external circumstances. So that's kind of like where you were born, the amount of money you have, like what's going on, how people are affecting you, all that. And surprisingly, everyone always thinks that's a huge piece, but it's only 10%. And the third piece, 40% left, that's actually what we do and how we perceive the world, our thoughts and actions. And what I'll say is I feel like there's a little bit of a caveat to that, because in our youth, right, our the way we think, the way we we believe, the way we act, all of that is shaped by our external circumstances. So this is my personal observation, but I feel like that 40% actually falls into the the 10% of external circumstances. As we get older, we start to be able to have the autonomy to take on more of that for ourselves and really have control over it. But I think that's again that perspective shift where we start to realize, "Oh, like I don't have to do that thing. Like if I don't do that, then this is a consequence." And it's really interesting because that's it kind of goes into like the importance of play. Where like we have all this like test-driven societies now that's like so so focused on making sure that like our students have high test scores, but play is so important because that's when students when children learn boundaries, right? It's unstructured playtime and they just like a puppy, right? When puppies are playing, they're biting, and when the other puppy yelps, they realize okay, that's too hard. I can't bite that hard, right? And and your children, puppies, everyone like. <laughs> Living beings, we learn boundaries by testing them. Right. And that's when you see like teenagers seeing what they can get away with because they don't want to do more than they have to. We don't like adults, don't want to do more than we have to. Right. And it's that like kind of balance between our identity and our energy output.
0: Yeah. I honestly, that's really fascinating because I
1: didn't know that happiness is written into our genetics. Yeah. And honestly, like it's something I'm still exploring. Like, I feel like I've been learning about happiness for so long. And there's this, uh, this it's called the rule of seven. It's actually like a marketing principle, I think. But it says like, you have to experience something seven times before it sticks, before you like really keep it. And I, I laugh because I feel like I had to hear that seven times before it really stuck with me. And so like, as I'm learning more about like the research of happiness, I feel like I've been learning about it a lot. But most of it I haven't heard or experienced seven times yet. yet. And so... I, I know I still have a lot to learn, but I don't let that stop me from like applying what i what I understand and what I've experienced so far. That's
0: great, so you know with all the um power that we have and the control that we really have over our own happiness in life, it's really difficult sometimes to even work like an hour
1: in a day to just dedicate that time to yourself, yeah. Yeah. And I I would say like, that's one of the biggest things too, is that like self care. Right. And it's interesting because I feel like everything is, it's so blended, right. The scarcity mindset, it goes to your time. It goes to your energy. It goes to your money, right. Your resources, whatever you have, your space, right. It feels like we only have so much, but like at the end of the day, it's like, you choose how you spend it. And I think of it as like your clock. I know there's only so much time and it just keeps going, but like when you go to sleep, you cannot get another 24 hours. And at that next 24 hours, you choose how you spend it. Right. And so it's being, being aware that you do actually have that control and not, not playing victim. Cause I think a lot of times we feel like we, like the time is just ticking and we're just there. But when in reality, like you can do what you want, like it's up to you, um, how you choose to spend that time. Like they always say, like there's like the millionaires and whatever, like they have the same 24 hours a day that we do. And it's a matter of like doing the work. And I think that's one of the pieces too, that often gets lost is that it's absolutely work. Like, it's not just like, I'm going to go wake up and smile and be happy. Like, that's not how it is. You don't, (laughs) you're not just happy because you want to be happy. Like, there's so much behind it that you have to work for. Um, And a lot of work to do on ourselves, like, in the process. And I think that often gets way too understated. And people just think there's a pill or a program or something that you can do. Like, you have to do the work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there is a, uh, this study or report called the World Happiness Report. And, um, it you know, it's reported yearly. And usually the top spots are secured by Nordic countries. Um, And in Asia, here in Asia, Singapore this year was placed at 31st, which makes Singapore the happiest nation in Asia. But when that went around here, like Singaporeans don't really resonate with that statement. So I was just wondering if happiness, I mean, to me, happiness is like an individual thing. So I'm wondering if the metrics used in reports like this are ever a good indication of um, actual happiness that people are feeling and like what the reason is behind us
1: just not really resonating with being the happiest nation in Asia. It's really interesting because I've done like, I've oh I, you keep hearing about like, oh, the happiest country in the world, right? Like often like Bhutan and stuff like that. And like, it's... I actually was digging deep. I was like trying to figure this out. And I actually was talking with someone um, who's working on his PhD on happiness. And I was like, oh, if I was like in another life doing academia, I would probably be in his shoes. And I was actually kind of surprised to hear that the way they gather that data, like one of the the biggest points is um, they're calculating it based on self-reported data. They They use this thing called the central ladder, which is like they have this visualization. They say, imagine there's a ladder. Zero at the bottom, you're not on the ladder, ten being at the top of the ladder. It's like what's the best and worst possible evaluation of your current like situation in life, and so like that's one of the the big rungs <laughs> no fun intended um like that they use to like figure out where the country's place in there, and like it's actually really interesting, like I'd honestly be curious a little to hear a little bit more about your own experience um where People don't feel like that resonates with them, even though the, the data had reported them as like the top country in Asia for happiness.
0: I feel like maybe in Singapore, we do have a lot to be grateful for. Um, as a woman, young woman, I can go out at night without fearing for my life, which is already in itself a big thing. Um, you know, there is uh, not a... I mean, I wouldn't say there's gender equality, but women here get educated, they uh, are able to work, they get good jobs, and some of them get, are in leadership positions, although it's not equal. Um, so it is. it feels like, in comparison to other places, other people, we do have a lot to be grateful for. And I feel like maybe that is what was factored into the thought, because it feels like nothing is wrong but it's also not perfect. So maybe that's the that's where that's
1: coming from. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because when I was talking with this guy that's working on his PhD, he also mentioned like the importance of how, how did he say it? Well, there was a couple of things he said. Like one of them was just like the perception of opportunities versus like the actual opp- opportunity itself. And like when you have like a, you just, it, it seems like the opportunities are more um, positive, I guess you could say. Um, it just felt like it was a happier place, right? Whereas um, he kind of mentioned a little bit about like collective versus individual societies. And you'd think um, that the societies with the like individual, I mean, sorry, with the collective cultures, um, that they were generally more positive, but it was kind of interesting because as I was talking with him more, I was, he was explaining how it's it's actually more of the cultures with like focusing on the individual because there's a, a stronger sense of control, right? That you're able to have this like self-fulfillment and, and go after something that is important to you. Whereas like in a lot of the collective cultures, you often are just another like part of the group and there's not as much incentive to to push for something more. And like, I think it's also this like sense of, of purpose, right? And a sense of autonomy and and like being able to have that control.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so um, this may be a bit of a difficult topic, but when we experience these extended periods of unhappiness, right? um, And of course, certain factors that result in these extended periods of unhappiness are just not in our control. But what is this threshold where it
1: crosses into mental illness I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but I promise it's connected. So I I very firmly believe that anything is possible. Um, and I think a lot of this came from like as a child, like since I was five years old, since I was old enough to join, I was in the Girl Scouts. And like part of the Girl Scout promise is um, to make the world a better place and be a sister to every Girl Scout. And I did that for since I was five to 18. And then after that, I went on to be a Girl Scout camp counselor and do destinations, which is like when you travel the world. Um, And I started chaperoning and doing things like that. And I say that all to say, like it was a really integral part of me growing up and understanding like what the world was like. And as a counselor, one of the things we taught our girls is growth mindset, right? The ability that you you can grow and learn more right? And that there's neuroplasticity and you can get better at things, but it's only through challenge and persistence. Right. And so the reason I mentioned that is when you have mental illness, like there are some real hormonal imbalances that can be happening. Right. And that again, goes back to that 50% where it's like a big part, right? That's it, it. It's no joke. That's like nothing to mess with. Like it's a huge piece I know that there's a lot of research going on and like modern medicine has has made a lot of of new pieces. And I've I've worked with clients that were kind of in that category that it's hard because even though you try, you try to get up, it's like your body just doesn't want to, right? You're like your mind, it's just it's not there. And I think the biggest thing in that element is like being able to ask for help. And I think again, just like a lot of cultures don't don't encourage that, right? Especially in like the more individualistic societies, like, oh, it's your problem, you figure it out, right? But it kind of goes back into like how important it is to have that community element where you can lean out and be vulnerable in a safe space to be helped, and whether that's just talking about how you're feeling so that you can understand it more, or it's getting medication to help you with that hormonal imbalance, right? Because your hormones control how you're feeling and if if you're not feeling up to it like if it's only a day or two maybe it's one thing but if it's like a a chronic issue like and you haven't talked to anyone about that I feel like it's so important that you do right and it's like there's so many different resources now that you can like go to counselors online and going through that and like talking to more people and just hearing more about like the experience you have and other people who have gone through similar experiences. Like I know people have a tendency to self-diagnose, right? Cause they're just, they, they don't want to ask for help and be in that position. But I think there's a certain point when you, you need to do that. You need to seek medical professional help because that's how you can figure out what's really going on. Cause other than that, you're just like making shots sure in the dark. And it's kind of what I was talking about before where information is great, Right, but there's only so much you can do with it l- until you get feedback, right? Because if you're just a layman, like reading an article, maybe it, maybe it applies to, you maybe it doesn't. And they have like a WebMD. Everyone's all self-diagnosing that they have something, but it's like not really. So it's like you need to recognize when. I don't know. It's okay to ask for help. I think it's good to ask for help. Like if you if you don't, it's it's not healthy. Yeah. It's like, I
0: I mean, I love an analogy, but to me, it sounds like um, having pieces of a map and then not being able to piece it together. You just need someone to um, give you a bird's eye view and just guide you. Yeah,
1: And like even the map is in a different language, right? If you can't read it, if you don't know what it's saying, you need help. And it's not a bad thing. It doesn't say anything about you. It just means you had the capacity to understand you don't know everything in the world because no one does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, as someone who works in the media, I am also wondering if media and movies and sort of images online can paint our impressions of what happiness can look like. Um, like you mentioned earlier, there's this narrative going around that I might have even bought into that it's a destination. And the it starts from like that happily ever after narrative from fairy tales, right? So if happiness is actually a
1: journey, what does that really look like? Yeah, that's a lot because I feel like the media portrays so many different things, right? Like there's always a lesson in everything you see, whether it's a story, book, article, whatever, there's always like a point to it. And whether it's said explicitly or not, they're trying to teach you something. They're trying to share a view that they have. And I think it all goes back to kind of what I was saying about the work, right? Where it's like, yeah maybe you think it's a destination but there it's like there's this thing called the arrival fallacy where you think if you have this certain thing if you have a certain car if you make a certain amount of money if you once you may get married once you have a baby once you have a puppy right i could, I just got a puppy that's why i keep using my oh. um <laughs> but like it's it's not about that because what you'll realize is once you've gotten that thing you're going to want something more and that kind of goes into the hedonic treadmill where you're just always wanting something more constantly. And when you get it, it's never enough because you want something else. And so I think <laughs> I'm pausing because that's kind of like what happiness is, right? You're constantly striving towards a goal and moving forward. And it, it reminds me of like when I was living back at home with my parents and I was telling them how like I appreciate everything you're doing for me for me, but I, I want to have my own space. And it was this, it was this kind of interesting debate I'd have with my mom because she's like why can't you just be happy like you have a roof over your head you have food you have family that loves you you have everything you need and I'm like mom I I understand like I appreciate it I love this and not but and I recognize that there's more out there for me yeah and you know I
0: think it, it really sounds like we should be bringing this journey into our consciousness and
1: be mindful about it yeah and I think again that's like one of the things where <sighs> what I found personally is like I feel like I reflect a lot, but I know I don't reflect enough like I want to make more time for personal reflection, and it's just like learning at least for me personally, I've learned to listen more to my intuition and this is like a pretty new thing It's just like sitting still for long enough to to hear what i'm I'm thinking and feeling and and being able to listen to it and I'm sure a lot of listeners are like yeah, I have so much work to do to sit there and listen to myself. (laughs) And then like to that, I would say like, why? Why do you feel like you have to be constantly doing stuff? Why do you feel like you you can't sit? And And I feel like that's kind of like where that like kind of toxic work culture comes in. And it's, I just think it's so important for us to learn about ourselves because I think we spend our whole lives trying to learn about the world around us. But there's so much inside of us too that often goes unexplored.
0: That it's a world in itself, just exploring who we are and what we just really getting into our reflection. I've personally made it a habit to try and reflect regularly, but it's so hard sometimes you know, to really put that into the schedule.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's like, I like that you said that, put it in the schedule because that's like what my programs are called, scheduling happiness, (laughs) because it's like, you have to take the time, right? It's not like... I can't find the time it's not searching you know where the time is it's (laughs) on the clock it's in front of you on your calendar it's like you have to be intentional and take that time to do it because if you don't it just doesn't happen because it you just don't end up finding time for it because you feel like other things are coming up and yeah yeah.
0: it falls like under the radar in like the list of priorities that you have to complete and take off
1: yeah absolutely so
0: going into coaching then um, how does coaching help people reach their happiness goals? And what should our goals actually be?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because like we were just talking about how important reflection is. And I feel like that's a huge part of coaching is like, I'll speak for myself personally. Like I hold space for my clients to reflect in a meaningful way, right? Because it's so hard for us to sit down and make space for ourselves to refer, reflect. I've had my clients tell me that. It's like, when I'm with you, I feel like I, I, I can justify like making this space to reflect because like we've scheduled it. And I'm like, why can't you do that for yourself? Mm-hmm. And it's like that accountability piece where it's like, we, it's, at least the people I work with, I, I work with mostly educators and people in nonprofit who are dedicated to helping everyone else. And I think a lot of us get guilty where we feel like, oh, we're doing something for ourselves so we're not helping someone else but yeah. at the end of the day when we help ourselves we're bring our better version of us to help everyone else and we can do better work for others and so that's what I have to tell my clients and it's like you need to take up that space so that you can fully recharge and be fully present so that when you're serving others like you're there and so giving them that space to reflect and, and just Take care of themselves because a big part of what I do is we just do guided meditations, right? And like we literally sit there and breathe. And it sounds silly, but it's like a much needed part of our lives that um, can be hard to feel like we need to fit it in.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and like also guidance along that, both in meditation and reflection, right? And like figuring out what are the, the pieces that that would be helpful to understand and like getting encouragement. And I, I know sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I want to be validated, and it sounds a little bit superficial, but like. I feel like a lot of problems in the world happen because people aren't heard, right? They feel like they're not understood. And so they act out in desperation. And I say this because I've experienced it in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Where I have students that don't understand what's going on and they're trying to ask for help or they don't feel comfortable enough to ask for help. And so they start getting out of their seat or they start poking their neighbor or they start throwing something, right? Because they want attention because they're not getting it. And bad attention is better than no attention. and so I think that's honestly where a lot of our problems come from is just people not being heard and so I am very intentional that I make a safe space for people to be heard
0: yeah and also can I just say like I before I started doing meditation regularly and just mindfulness practices I really like did not know how powerful it was it really feels so important to fit the end of my my nightly routine now it's become like really
1: integral to just be intentional about it it really is yeah and it's the other part is like a lot of my programming is around building routines because I feel like when you build a routine you don't have to make so many decisions. And like a lot of my friends and family make fun of me. They're like, you're so bad at making decisions. I'm like, I know that's why I make it a routine. So I don't need to decide. It's already a decision made ahead of time. (laughs) And like, it, it also just takes like a lot of cognitive load to make a choice. Right. And so if you can make that choice ahead of time, it's a lot easier. And It's interesting because sometimes I've had my clients push back. It's like, oh, I don't want to feel like it's part of my schedule because then it's like too serious. And I'm like, well, you decide how you want it. And it's kind of like a a mindset shift as well. I'm like, you tell me what you want. It's also like budgeting, right? With your money. It's like, I'm not trying to restrict what you do with your money. I just want you to understand where it's going. Yeah. And so I have my clients do that with their time. Yeah. And, you know,
0: being intentional about it and really putting the time and energy into, um Meditating into reflecting, it feels like you can alleviate a lot of emotional labor that we might be doing throughout the day. It's just like that moment that you
1: can really be real with yourself. Yeah. So I, I think that's like a whole other thing too, right? It's like the emotional labor we do throughout the day, and like when we're constantly switching between tasks, it just like it's so stressful because we have to like make up our minds and then we have to switch this thing and then we have to remember something else, and so like when you can can pause and like do things in bunches, right? And like then when you're able to like successfully schedule things out, right, then you have that time and space to meditate and listen to yourself and like do the things that bring you joy, right? Yeah, and like really yeah. take time for what you enjoy doing. Definitely. I really echo you there. So
0: for all those moments when we struggle with happiness and being able to do things that made us make us feel satisfied and happy. Are there
1: any tools? Yeah, absolutely. So I have this, one of my, my talks is called overcoming overwhelm. And what I found is that there's typically three buckets of, of issues when we are feeling overwhelmed, either we feel like we don't have enough time, we don't have enough energy or we don't have the confidence. And so kind of like going through those three buckets if you feel like you don't have enough time, I think a lot of the times what you need to do is not do some stuff, <laughs> right? And so I, th- I know a lot of times it's hard for people to recognize like, oh, but I need to do that. Why? <laughs> Why do you need to do that? And so like the strategies that I have my my clients use is we first start out with a brain dump, and so I literally I'll give them a minute and say, okay, write down everything that you have to do have to do in quotation marks, right? Everything that's on your mind, everything you feel like you need to do, even that you can add the things that you want to do on there. And then from there, we go through a different a couple of different steps to prioritize that list and recognize what are the things you actually have to do right now? And what are the things that you could do next month, right? That you feel like are so important, but actually are not important or urgent right now. And so by going through that process, even though it takes a little bit of time, right? Um, it actually ends up allowing you to free up time to do what is really important and then rest so that you can continue moving on um the other one is if you don't have the confidence right and i think a lot of times where this comes from is when we have external expectations of a certain outcome and this is where a lot of like perfectionist mindset comes in and people they want a certain thing to happen at the end of the day here you have to recognize that you can only control your own actions you cannot control what other people are doing. And so what I have, have people do is like recognize, okay, what is it that you want to happen? What about that can you control? And how what what's the worst case scenario? I think that's something that's been really powerful is you kind of look at that. Okay, can you accept it? And how likely is that to happen, right? And so then by accepting like, quote unquote, worst case scenario. And then also focusing on your own actions is it empowers you to take imperfect action, right? Those steps forward that that mean progress rather than being frozen in fear about like doing it wrong or not doing it the right way. And then the third one is like, when you feel like you don't have enough energy and it's because you're putting others first. And that's a little bit tied up with both the other two. But the way I see this is that you need to have work, play and rest, right? And you're as a part of your life work because you need to earn money and earn your keep and, and get resources, right? So that you can continue living and survive. You need to rest so that you can recharge and like get what you need, like physically and mentally, your brain needs to rest and your body needs to recover. Like it needs to repair tissues and your immune system, all that jazz, right? And then the play part is I think, where that purpose comes in and we get to do the things that are important to us and that, that bring us joy and that we feel um, have, have intention and meaning and it. Like it connects us usually to someone else so when you have that play time.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to start and try putting those three strategies into my day-to-day life now. I feel like putting the effort in now can save a lot of
1: time later it sounds really useful (laughs) absolutely and I think that's a a thing too where kind of goes back to it right where it takes work it doesn't just happen you have to go through the steps you have to figure out the, the things and and categorize and all that jazz and it doesn't sound glamorous or pretty or fun right but it's part of the process
0: yeah yeah So just before we end off, I would like to tap into your insights and words of advice for anyone who might be struggling with happiness right now.
1: Yeah. Something I've built into both my morning and evening routines is really doing a gratitude journal. Finding little things that you can be grateful for in this moment. And the challenge to that is that every time you write things down is it has to be something different. And so I do three in the morning, three at night. So I have six unique items that I'm thankful for every day. And it, it sounds silly, but it could be as simple as like, I'm thankful for my fuzzy socks, or I'm thankful for coffee, or I'm thankful for my mom calling me today, right? And it sounds silly, but when you sit down and you can think about what are the things in your life you can that you have to be grateful for, you really are pulling yourself into the present number 1 but also recognize like that that life isn't so bad.
0: I think when you do that regularly, you will be able to then see that actually there are things that you can be ha-
1: happy for and grateful for. Yeah, and it's interesting too because you can start looking back through your notebook, right, and seeing what you were thankful for a week ago, a month ago hopefully a year ago, right? If you if you've continue to do that practice and even that practice in itself, looking back to make sure you haven't repeated anything can bring joy because you recognize the time that you said, oh, I'm thankful that the gum was stuck on my shoe and I was able to get it off, right? Something stupid like that. And it just like brings up these cool memories, um, which is interesting. Like that's why we have to have pictures and we have to write things down because our brains store negative memories because it keeps us safe. But our positive memories don't stick as well. So we have to remind ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And
0: so where can our listeners
1: find you for more really great advice on happiness? Absolutely, yeah. I'm on Instagram at out. Um, you can also find me my website is beginbranchingout.com. And like I mentioned before, I love working with people who love serving others, but often get burnt out in the process because I've been there and done that. And I can also say that I can be guilty of that sometimes even now, but I'm constantly working towards it for myself and I want to help others through that process too. As we arrive at the train we took, take a long
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Truly Other podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. What does happiness mean to you? Share your thoughts with us on Facebook and Instagram at the truly Other. Check out the links in the description to connect with Erica and to learn more about pursuing happiness. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you at the next show.